All right. Good morning. Good morning. I love it when Cindy MCs. It's my favorite Sunday of the month. All right. We're going to get into the Word. So go ahead and grab your Bibles. And we'll be in the book of Luke, chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 857. All right, so once you are there, uh, go ahead and stand up. We're going to take a read of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And we're in our second week of our Advent series. I know technically today is the first Sunday of Advent, so happy first Sunday of Advent. It's the first day of the Christian calendar, so it's sort of our new year. It's exciting. Um, But we'll read uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Go ahead and just follow along as I read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, sorry, heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for this story that many of us have heard many, many times. 
I pray that you would, by your Spirit, uh, make it come alive again to us this morning. Uh, And may we see past sort of the sentimentality of it, of our culture, and into the deep, powerful, and even provocativeness of it. And may our hearts be affected and impacted uh, for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. All right, so during Advent uh, this year, amidst all the busy and the chaos, amidst all the voices and ads clamoring for our attention, we're trying to stop for a second and behold what God has done. Last week, we read the story of Joseph, who was invited to take God at his word in the midst of a confusing moment when his fiancée became pregnant without his help. He received an angelic visitor while he was sleeping to put him at ease and to invite him to participate in this grand plan of God to incarnate himself among humanity. So today we see another angelic visit. But this time it doesn't stop with one angel, but it escalates to the multitude of the heavenly host. And what the word actually is there is army. This is the angelic army of God showing up, making a birth announcement to a group of shepherds on a hillside near Bethlehem. So what we see in this story is the advent of what we Christians call Christ's upside-down kingdom. So what God does in this three-act story is allow us to behold His priorities. And especially His priorities in contrast with the priorities of this world. At every turn here, we see this contrast. Now, our lives turn around what we prioritize. Many of us, myself included, often live our lives ruled by the tyranny of the urgent. We pay attention to what's on fire. And then once we put that fire out, we move on to the next thing that caught fire while we were attending to the first fire. And so our lives go. The birth story of Jesus reveals God's upside-down priorities. Let's dive into this story to see what God would have us behold about his priorities. Maybe it can help us in this season. And we'll take it again in three acts. So act one, we have the backdrop. A broken world's priorities. Let's reread verses one through seven. It says, In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. And so it's easy for us as we read this story to miss what the original audience would have grasped right away. If you've grown up in the church, even if you've grown up attending church infrequently, one of the times you probably attended church was on Christmas. And you probably read this story. And so you've probably heard this story so many times that it can sound rote and mundane. But it's not. Luke, the author, he is painting a portrait here of deep, resounding contrast. Verse 1 sets the scene. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. You know, I hear that and I think, oh, it's the Jesus story. Yay, I'll get on my cozy Christmas PJs and my hot cocoa. But we can't miss that Luke has already begun painting this masterpiece. And we need to pay attention. Caesar Augustus, which is merely a title for the Roman emperor Octavian, he's considered by many to be Rome's greatest emperor. Was anyone here born in August? Okay, you can thank Caesar Augustus for the name of your birth month. He was the heir of his murdered uncle Julius Caesar. And it was under him that Rome transitioned from a republic to an empire. He was Rome's first emperor. During his reign from 27 B.C. to his death in 14 A.D., Rome saw an era of unprecedented peace and prosperity. Known as what you've probably heard of as the Pax Romana or Pax Augusta. The emperor cult of Rome, known as Divus Augustus, where he was worshipped as a god, officially began under Caesar Augustus. We found inscriptions in ancient times calling the birth of this Caesar Augustus the Evangelion, or good news, which is the same word in verb form here in verse 10. Caesar Augustus, he's referred to as a god, a son of the gods, and savior of the world. This is the backdrop for the birth of Jesus. Caesar is in the middle of exercising his ultimate authority. Censuses, or sensi, I don't know, they're not, they weren't as easy as they are now. You know, now we get a mailer every 10 years, and we, we fill it out online, and the government collates the data, and bada-bing, bada-boom, Done. A census of the entire world, or the Roman world, this is the flexing of Caesar's power. This is for the sake of taxation. This is for the sake of military conscription. This is the backdrop. The flexing of the muscles of the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. And then here we have God in the process of dropping in on this broken world. 
And the route that he chooses is the exact opposite of the worldly vision of power and prestige. Joseph and Mary, a poor Jewish couple, making the 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem while Mary's pregnant to register for Caesar's census. And so it happens that while they are there, it's time to give birth. And so many of us, we read this story and we conjure images which have been given to us by by the movies we watched and watched last night and will continue to watch every night until Christmas, of them being in a stable out back or in a cave, which they may have been in a cave. But we need to remember there, there is something called Middle Eastern hospitality that was present and alive in that day. So there probably wasn't a grumpy uh, innkeeper who sort of kicked them into the stable. No, they were probably pretty well taken care of aside from there just being no room. Dwellings back then were in uh, their rectangles. And in the middle of the rectangle, you have the, the living room. And on either side, there are other rooms. One side is the guest room, which has a whole wall. So it's, there's privacy there. That is the same room as what it says here as the inn or guest room. On the opposite side of that rectangular dwelling lies another room with a half-high wall where they would bring in the animals to protect them from the elements. They could feed them from inside the living room. And so there's no room. They can't stay in the guest room, so they're put over there on the other side with the animals. And so we shouldn't read this and think, gosh, they were just super mistreated. Horrible innkeeper. No, we should read this and think, Wow, they're poor. They're, they're humble. They, they can't buy their way into nicer accommodations. And so, here we have. They're not well connected. They can't afford to, you know, pay for a proper birth center. In other words, they are the antithesis of Caesar Augustus. And so... In the place reserved for the animals, Mary gives birth to Jesus. She wraps his arms and legs in the typical cloths that most babies were wrapped in to protect their fragile skin from the elements, and she lays him in a manger, which, you know, growing up, you just think that's a, that's a really nice, cozy place for Jesus to lay. No, it's a feeding trough. It's not cozy. I'm sure they did their best to make it cozy, but it's a feeding trough for those said animals. And so if we zoom out, we see that on the surface of things, if we didn't already know better, because we're reading a Christian gospel after all, we would think that the main character of this story is Caesar. You know, he's the one with the power. He has the reins. He tells his subjects what to do and when. And so it is in the midst of this setting of Roman power and prestige that Jesus, fully human, clearly, and yet fully God, quietly and meekly enters the world. God doesn't abide worldly versions of power. He displays his own version, humility, uh, meekness, and incarnation 
He doesn't flex his divine muscles. He comes down to our level. He doesn't lord his power over us. He serves. So that's the backdrop. But that doesn't mean he is going to um, he isn't going to make himself known. Jesus might have been born in obscurity, but he doesn't stay there. Let's take a look at Act 2, the announcement. An upside-down kingdom has arrived. Look at verses 8 through 14 again. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so God's upside-down priorities continue with who he commissions to be the first witnesses of Jesus' birth, a group of shepherds. Now, shepherds may or may not have been despised in this day, but they were definitely of a humble estate. No, these weren't white-collar professionals. These were not the upper echelon of society. These were the -the rough-around-the-edges people. They were sleeping outside, presumably because it's the spring when there's lambing happening, and they would guard their flock from predators. And so there they are, minding their own business, doing the nightly grind when they receive a heavenly visit. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. But not just that. It says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, this must have been quite the experience. And they didn't like it. It says they were filled with great fear. The Greek says that they feared a great fear. They were shook. (laughs) I knew you'd like that, man. No, thankfully, though, the angel doesn't leave them hanging. He delivers the announcement, which is the hinge point of this whole story. Verses 10 through 14. This is it. It says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is it. God is making known to humanity that he has officially invaded humanity. Here in verses 10 through 14, we have all of God's upside down kingdom priorities on full display. And all of heaven is excited about it. 
And so first, the angel invites them away from fear and toward what God is doing. He says, fear not, for behold. Now, if you take any phrase away from today, I want it to be this one. Fear not, for behold. God doesn't just call us away from fear. He calls us toward what he is about. And what is that? We see it here. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Contrasting that with the supposed gospel of Caesar, the angel proclaims a new gospel. Not one of powerful subjugation, but of great joy. Not just for the elite and the privileged, but for all the people. And notice, this is anything but abstract and theoretical. The angel gets nice and specific. He says, you're going to find a baby. He's going to be wrapped in the regular old swaddling cloths, but he's going to be lying in a trough. Look out for that. This is how you'll know. He describes what they are invited to see, but not just that. He also explains to them what it all means. He says, you'll find a baby. He'll be lying in a feeding trough. And by the way, he is Savior. He is Christ. He's Lord. These three titles given to a newborn baby boy in the backwoods of Judea, This is earth-shattering. First of all, the title Savior was given to Caesar. And so any person given this title undermines Caesar. Caesar saves his people. Granted, it's through subjugation and dictatorship. Jesus, rather, saves his people through emptying himself and self-sacrifice. And so the angel declares that, no, this poor baby Jewish infant is the Savior. And he is also Christ, which is Greek for the Hebrew title of Messiah, both of which mean anointed one. This means that he is, as a direct descendant of King David, chosen for this role. Augustus appointed himself the emperor of Rome. He took the authority because he had an opportune moment. He destroyed his rivals. You've heard of Mark Anthony? Caesar Augustus rivaled him and destroyed him and take his authority. He rewrote the bylaws of Rome, established himself as the sole authority. Now, by contrast, Jesus was anointed and chosen by God. He didn't grab for his authority. When Jesus commissions his disciples and us in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all nations in the name of Christ, he first tells them where he got the audacity to make such a commission. 
He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. God gave Jesus all authority because he deserved it. And so Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Christ. And finally, he is Lord. Now, Lord has a dual insanity to it. First of all, Caesar was also referred to as Lord. But guess who was also referred to as Lord? We saw it just a few verses earlier. In verse 9, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And then, The glory of the Lord shone around them. The term Lord happens to be how the Jews who translated the Hebrew Scriptures into Greek translated the very name of God. And so what we see in this threefold description of who this baby is is staggering. Especially in the context of the, you know, at that point, thriving and indestructible Roman Empire. Jesus is Savior As in, he and only he is the solution to your problems. He is Christ. As in, he is the one anointed by God. No one else. No other religion. No other worldview. No other ideology. And he is Lord. So he didn't just procure your salvation. He is the divine king of this new upside-down kingdom that just started when he was born and will continue forever and ever. Then it becomes a party. Now, we, we cannot even remotely imagine the scene here. It says, suddenly in verse 13, there was with the angel, so so far there's just been one angel, but suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host or army praising God. A multitude of the heavenly hosts show up to celebrate the birth of the king of the cosmos. Now, Jesus may have been born here in utter utter obscurity, but the heavenly armies know what a big deal this is. And so God sort of says, okay, go ahead, celebrate. He gives them the go-ahead to show up and to let their feelings out. They're so pumped. The heavenly army of angels cannot but just explode with praise. And notice what they sing about. First, the glory due to God. And second, the peace that is coming on his people. Now, this is the true peace. This is the true peace that Jesus brings. Not the Pax Romana accomplished through imperialism and bloodshed, but the peace of Christ, accomplished through humility and suffering and the shedding of his own blood. What a baby shower. Man! And this leads us to Act 3. The response. Beholding and sharing what God has said and done. Look at verses 15 through 20. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, 
Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so the angels had given the shepherds a specific action item. Look for a baby boy wrapped in swaddling cloths, as in he was just born, and lying in a feeding trough. And that's a, I mean, that's a great clue. Because, you know, there's not that many babies lying in feeding troughs around. And so after, after seeing what is perhaps one of the greatest spiritual experiences described in the Bible, hundreds of thousands of angels praising God, the shepherds have a choice to make. You know, are they going to actually get up and do something about what they just heard about? Because, I don't know, after experiencing and seeing, hearing thousands of angels singing, I, I might be like, eh, I don't know, babies are born all the time. But like, those angels, that was cool. But no, their response is exactly what we hope as the reader. It says they went with haste to see this thing that has happened, which they understood as coming from the Lord. There's another use of the word Lord to refer to God himself. And what did they get to behold? Two things. They were able to hear God's word as delivered through God's messenger. And they were able to see his actions. They got to behold the power of God's word and his actions. Now, did you notice how prevalent the language is in this paragraph for hearing and seeing, seeing and telling? You know, God's word through his angelic messenger was that they'd find this baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a trough. But not just that. The meaning of it. That this baby is Savior. This baby is Christ. This baby is Lord. They were told what God would do and what it meant. They were able to see with their own eyes the humility of God. And were promised that this humble baby would grow up and accomplish something that Caesar would never accomplish. The salvation the reconciliation of humanity to God, ushering in an eternal kingdom of God that would eventually outlast even the unshakable, the indestructible, the eternal empire of Rome. So their response is to go and look. And after seeing it, they tell others. Verse 20 says that as they returned to their daily lives, they were glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. The shepherds are the first recorded 
evangelists? Was it their credentials that made them worthy of this role? No. They were just willing to take God at his word. Behold what he had done. And they could hardly help but make it known to others. And so God's upside-down kingdom begins, and in the way that only he can, commissioning ordinary, nothing special people to carry the news. In the introduction to this gospel, Luke, he describes his methods. You know, Luke wasn't one of Jesus' original followers. He wasn't an apostle like the twelve. And so his methods are, as described in the first paragraph of the book, he utilizes eyewitness accounts to knit together the happenings surrounding the person of Jesus Christ. He wasn't there. Theophilus, his friend whom he wrote the gospel for, wasn't there. But they have the next best thing, eyewitness testimony. And so our faith in God's word is not flimsy or theoretical based on heady philosophy. No, it's it's based on actual events that human beings bore witness to and died to make known to us. And so this is the upside-down kingdom. It's different. It's different than the kingdoms of this world. Its priorities are different because they're the priorities of its king. It's uh, December 3rd. We've already started, but we are in a 12-month period now, ticking The clock is ticking in our society. The next 12 months is going to get ugly. I'm not just talking about an election coming up, but that seems to be where things get hinged onto. So, you are going to have, you're going to have alternative kingdoms clamoring for your allegiance and attention. So, rather than throwing your lot in with the Caesars of this world, make Jesus' priorities your priorities. Now, this doesn't lead us to pious escapism because the world's going to burn. No. This leads us to be like Jesus. Incarnational. Because of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of the world. We can wade into its messes, its brokenness. Why? Because he took our messes. He took our brokenness. But it also doesn't lead us to a utopian vision of American politics or society. We know that human sin will always mar the regimes of this world, which is why it's such a blessing to be a dual citizen. We don't put our hope or trust in the princes of this world. We put our hope in the king. He is the only savior, not us. We just get to bear witness to what we have heard and seen. Jesus' inaugurated kingdom as it started right here 
has outlasted the Roman Empire by a long shot. And it's going to outlast American democracy. Jesus Christ is God's anointed king, y'all. And this is the best news. This is good news of great joy for all the people, yourself included, myself included. Why? Because Jesus is not like Caesar. He laid down his divine privileges for you. Name one politician who's laid down their privileges for you. Zero. He did it to become a poor human being. And then he laid down his life for you. He suffered for you. He unlocked eternal joy and peace for you. And then he rose. This is why he is the recipient of all authority in heaven and on earth. He didn't stay a baby. And he didn't stay dead. We don't, you know, like uh, Will Ferrell's character does, pray to sweet baby Jesus. No, he's not a baby anymore. He's king. Now, it's not your Sunday school Christmas passage, but I want to close by reading Psalm 2, which is sort of a, an adult Christmas psalm. So if you want to turn there, you can go ahead. Psalm 2 speaks of God's anointed king. And as we just read in Luke chapter 2, that is who Jesus is. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. It says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. The good news of great joy that is for all the people is the refuge that is available in this king. Have you taken refuge in him? His arms are open wide to you now. It's the safest, most fulfilling, and peaceful place you could ever be because it lasts beyond death.
This is God's anointed King. This is Savior Christ and Lord, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Glory to you, God, in the highest, and on earth peace among whom you are pleased. Lord, we thank you for this news. We thank you for this eyewitness account from the shepherds, from Mary, from, from Joseph, from, from all those involved who were able to recount what happened on this night so that we could know and we could hear and we could see and behold what you've done. We pay homage to your anointed king. We rejoice that he is your chosen, anointed Christ. For any here this morning who do not yet know the wonder, the peace, the joy of surrendering their lives to this wonderful king, I pray that your spirit would just stir it in their hearts to turn their lives over to you. With our eyes closed, our heads bowed, I want to give people a chance to respond to that invitation. If you've been living in fear, I want you to respond to this invitation to fear not, but behold. There was a baby. He was born in real time in a real place. He was laid in a feeding trough for animals. Because he deserved it? No. Because he chose to condescend, to come down from his heavenly throne, to take on human weakness, human flesh, to live the life of a servant, to become obedient even to the point of death, even that of the Roman cross, the most excruciating, tormenting way to die that was ever invented. And he did it all for you so that you might not need to live in fear. So if you're someone who wants to surrender your life to this king this morning, I want to give you that chance. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to, to repeat after me this prayer. You can do it out loud if you want, but you can also do it quietly in your own heart. You can say, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ I recognize that I am in need of saving. That I need a Savior. That the Caesars of this world don't cut it. I recognize that I have chosen my own way. That I have followed others and myself and have not followed your appointed and anointed king. And I recognize that I have tried to guide and be the Lord of my own destiny, but that that is not working. And so, Lord, I want to put my faith and trust in the person that you have chosen I believe that Jesus came. 
I believe that he lived the life that I could not live. I believe that he died the death that I deserve. And I believe that you raised him from the dead to be exalted and given all authority. And that includes an authority over my life. I want to confess Jesus is Lord. Because of his sacrifice, please forgive me of my sins. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit to empower me to live for him. Thank you, God, for doing this for me. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you prayed with me, I want you to let me know. Because I want you to get baptized. Especially if this is your first time praying that prayer, giving your life to Jesus. And for the rest of us, we're just going to just enjoy God's presence together. Enjoy worshiping him, praising him, uh, just spilling out joy of what we have heard and what we have seen. So we're going to do that over the next few songs. Um, Also, if you want to receive prayer, if you're carrying heavy burdens, if you're struggling right now, especially in this season, it's someone put it to me last year that the Christmas season is where everything is just a lot. Whether it's joy, it's a lot. Or if it's sadness, it's a lot. So if you're carrying sadness and difficulty right now, I want you to come receive prayer. Uh, Tiffany and Caleb will be up front here to be able to pray for you. So just come on forward anytime during the worship time. And then if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, as, your, as the Christ, as your Lord, uh, communion is set. Jesus lived to be an adult, and then he laid down his life for you. He spilled his blood. He had his body broken for you. And so we remember that weekly, that he did that, that this is the basis for our peace. He accomplished peace by allowing his body to be broken. And so you can come receive of communion during this time as well. But let's just spend the next few songs in time uh, worshiping and enjoying and responding to the Lord.